the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Well, welcome to Education America, where we are working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Join our conversation because you know what? K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, so succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. I am Rebecca Hagstrom, co-host of Education America, and I'm joined in studio, studio of course, with my lovely co-host, Abigail Johnson. Yes. Studia. Yes. You know, I'm the just thing. speaking Latin. You know, you, I mean, as Joe Biden would say, you know, the thing. Come yeah. on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Yeah. Oh, no, he would say, repeat that. Just um, uh, say repeat that again. the line. Yes. Repeat the line. <laughs> All right. Um, well, tonight we are going to be just, you know, the thing. You know, <laughs> love the thing. Thank you, Lee. <laughs> love that. <laughs> now all we need to do is start challenging each other to do some push-ups and we'll have, you know, quintessential Biden. Yep. It's like he's right here with us here in right, studio. Right. Come on, man. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Way to go, Lee. I love having Lee in there. <laughs> Actually, John does that for us sometimes too. You and John are awesome that way. So what are we talking all about right. tonight? So what we are talking about tonight kind of plays in a little bit to what we discussed last week. So we talked about The Coddling of the American Mind last week, a great book that we encourage our listeners to find and read or listen to. Um, and then we're going to delve in to how some of these concepts that we saw in that book are playing out in our classrooms. So we're talking about tonight the four biggest threats to education here in Minnesota, but really these threats apply nationwide because yes. we're seeing these trends all over the nation. This is not isolated to Minnesota by any stretch of the imagination. But before we get into those four threats, I want to talk a little bit about the history and how we did get to where we are today. Because I think for people, especially me, I'm a little older than you. We won't talk, we won't about, talk that. about it. We yeah. won't talk about it. There's um, things we don't talk about. <laughs> right. um, but you know, back when I was in school, sound like my grandma, um, we just didn't have any concerns about public school education whatsoever. Mm -hmm. There were common values for the most part, um, but things were already on the rise um, even when I was going to school, mostly in the 70s. And I got a very different education even than my siblings did in the 1960s, which is really interesting, only a decade different. Um, but people today think, well, gee, this feels like it came out of nowhere, 
right? Mm-hmm. These changes in education, but they really didn't. These have, there have been, there's been a steady march really since the early 1900s with the rise of progressivism. Mm-hmm. And so what happened, Abigail, and you know, I, I, I think people do want to hear a little bit about the background. I'm not going to go too deeply into this, but in the 1920s, we saw a lot of interest in this notion of progressivism. And progressives were really pushing a lot of their mindset in the whole culture, not just in education. But they did get very much embedded into the education teacher colleges. So especially at that time, it was Columbia Teachers College and Chicago's Teachers College. And the focus then became more on um, letting children sort of be at the center of their education, because this came out of this Piaget's theory of cognitive development, which is right on saying that children learn through experience, Mm -hmm. which is accurate. But what they did is they took it kind of to this next level and said, well, if they learn through experience and they know sort of this almost like by, um, uh, not by diffusion, what's that word I'm looking for where, um, um, yeah, by, basically by diffusion, that they are going to know exactly what they are supposed to learn. Okay. And so you put them in the center of their education and let them make a lot of the choices around what they learn. And if you do that, then they thought, okay, these kids are going to just naturally know what is good for them. Well, we know from an adult perspective that seems kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. At the same time that was happening, there was also this desire to push away from the traditional values and to focus more on lived experience. So experience became very important. And so rather than, rather than teaching from a more traditional standpoint, then the schools began to use education as a means to lead children away from the traditional values of their parents and towards these more progressive ideals. And so the combination of using experiential learning, which we still hear in, in schools today, and while it sounds great, often it means that the child is doing a lot of their own educating and deciding what they're going to learn. And we see that that's really dumbing down our schools and has over the course of time. So we have kind of two issues here. We okay. have both the academic issue and then we also have the more philosophical um, issue of leading our our students down a very different path. Then, when you consider that in the early sixteen or early nineteen sixties, the Supreme Court removed Bible reading and prayer from our public schools, that started then the the steady march towards secularization of our schools, mm-hmm. which then opened up the door even further for progressives to be able to use education as a means to move a whole generation of kids into a different direction. And we are where we are today, um, where we have schools that don't often want parents to come into the classrooms. Um, Mm -hmm. Even schools that are good districts often don't want parent volunteers. And it's shocking. I have parents tell me that when they come to our school, how they're so thankful that we open up the doors to them. But that was an intentional piece of it. If you're going to change a culture through education, you need to separate these kids then from the traditional values by which they were being raised. And now we're seeing that 
full bore because Absolutely. we are now having debates over whether parents should have any say in public school education. And amazingly, they did, uh, they, I don't even remember who it was. I watched this on a video of some kind where somebody was going around with a microphone, you know, and sticking it in the faces of kids at a college. I think it was either Harvard or Princeton. Do you think, and this was after the election in West Virginia where the the governor lost because he was yes. calling on the union to determine absolutely what kids should mm-hmm. learn and um they asked these these students at a very prestigious college do you think parents should have input into their public school education i was shocked how many kids said no they can send their kids to a private school if they don't like what's being taught in the public schools well Let's go back in history, the whole idea of education in America and the idea of having public school education was to educate all children to be responsible citizens, and it was supposed to be locally controlled through the local school districts and the local school boards by the parents Yes, to determine what was important in that district for kids to learn. So in a mere 50, 60 years... We already have a new generation of kids who now think, no, if you don't like what's being taught in the public school, you should send your kid to a private school. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right. This is just terrifying. I know. I know. So that's a little bit of the history of how we got to where we are today. But where where are or what are these four threats? Well, mm-hmm. the the first one, and I think is the one that is the most getting the most attention right now is critical race theory. Yes, absolutely. But of course, you know, Abigail... If somebody, if let's say you were having your kids in a public school and you decided I'm going to go ask my superintendent or I'm going to ask the principal of my school, do you teach critical race theory in our school? What do you think they're going to say? Oh, my goodness. Well, absolutely not. I'm sure they would never do anything like that. Mm-hmm. Although, to be very frank, I've heard a number of situations where, um, you know, administration and to be very fair, um, you know, this is education in general. I've I've heard examples about things like this from uh, parents that have their children in private schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and That's true. That's so true. I want to just I want to be public. very fair yes. with, yep. you know, as we're talking about overall trends that we're seeing that this is not limited to one type of school. And I think, you know, the biggest uh, burden that we both feel is um, that parents should have informed, basically informed consent. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if they want their child in a particular school that teaches particular values, that's their right as a parent. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if maybe I I wouldn't agree or their neighbor wouldn't agree. That's fine. They're not my kids. They're not their neighbor's kids. It's, it's their parents. choice. But what we hear mm-hmm. over and over, and I think what um, ha- you know, COVID really brought out was parents were absolutely astounded when schools went online and all of a sudden the parent is in the kitchen also trying to work or maybe make lunch or whatever. And they're actually hearing what is going on in their child's classroom. Mm-hmm. And they were absolutely floored. Yep. So, And that's the whole transparency issue. Mm-hmm. And back to what is the purpose of education? And the progressives were able to really take a hold of education and and use it now for the gain of their of their goals. And um, parents are aware of that, are becoming aware of that now. And you are absolutely right. This is not limited to public schools. There are mm-hmm. many private schools that are embracing some of these same 
ideas and ideals. But so back to the point of are they going to be up front? If, they, if you ask about critical race theory, they're going to probably say no. We don't teach that. That's a legal theory is what they're going to mm-hmm. say. So what you have to do is you have to really start looking a little bit deeper as to what are they really teaching my kids. And like you say, that's where people were picking up on this. And we're seeing parents now speaking out, which is great. Mm -hmm. We want parents to speak out. But this notion of CRT in schools, you know, basically what they're, they're promoting is this notion that there is systemic racism in all of Western civilization. Mm -hmm. And the only way to change that is to completely remake, wipe, wipe out Western civilization and remake it sort of in this new image where somehow the once oppressed are now not going to become oppressors themselves. Mm-hmm. And again, it's this dichotomous thinking like we talked about last week at, in the book Coddling of the Mind. It's really foundational from Marxism, this notion that there are the this power struggle between the oppressed and the oppressors, and there's no room for gray in between. And so our students are being um, submitted to uh, assignments that teach them that there is this power struggle between good and evil and white and black and narrowing it down into one group or another. And one of the examples that I can give of this, and there's many examples, by the way. Absolutely. If you really are having trouble imagining, you know, is this really happening? Is this really going on? Oh, my gosh, just go to YouTube. Yeah, uh, and go- you know, just mm-hmm. Google school board meetings, parents speaking out and the number of things. And you will see, you know, real parents speaking about their child's experiences. Yeah. And it is. It's just shocking. Yeah, it really is shocking. I was just going to share about one example of a uh, something called a melanin project that was done with kids as young as kindergarten in a local school district here in the Twin Cities and where the kids were asked to draw their fingers and on a piece of paper, and then color in their hands, um, the color of their skin tone, and put them up on a board, which all sounds great until you hear that the statement up on the board says, stop thinking your skin color is better than anyone else's. So now we're teaching kindergartners to view the world through the lens of race. Mm -hmm. And we're planting seeds that there is one power group and one non-power group. There is one good group. There is one bad group. And so we're teaching division starting already in kindergarten when you know naturally kids at that age don't even notice skin color. You'll Mm -hmm. see kids skipping and hopping and having fun together out on the playground. They don't need to have this idea placed in their hearts and minds and like you say, causing division where there is none. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they Uh, Another example of one that happened in another school district in a middle school level was to send uh, or to put put a chart in front of the kids that had the titles um, types of oppression, privileged groups and targeted groups. And the kids were supposed to circle the words on this chart that they could relate to. Well, under the privileged groups, it says white, male, Christians, Protestants, heterosexuals, U.S. born. Well, that was probably at least 50 or 60 percent. I'm I'm surprised they didn't put women on there, girls on there, just just males. So if you're a white female, I guess you're in a little bit better shape than if you're a white male. Um, But then under targeted groups, it's people of color, Muslims and others, gay, lesbian. And, you know, this isn't, again, to undermine the the experience that 
individuals have. I'm not saying that there's Absolutely. no racism here in America yet, but to divide and force kids along this trajectory of you are either good or bad. If you are white, you are evil. If you are white, you are an oppressor. If you are white, you are privileged. Um, there's no room for gray. There's no room for gray. I, it, it, no, it really struck me. And again, we'll, we'll refer to the great YouTube here. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was, uh, you know, an uh, African American man that was speaking at a school board. And again, this floated around Twitter and various places of, you know, the internet. And it was, it was heartbreaking and also incredibly eloquent and brave because this father was standing up and saying, don't tell my child that they're a victim. Exactly. I am, you know, I am their father. Mm -hmm. This child is loved. This, you know, you are doing nothing but harming them mm -hmm. by telling them they're a victim. And, you know, if you look at various psychological studies, um, you know, if you take all, just take the whole race element out of this. If you tell someone over and over and over, you're a victim, you'll never get anywhere. You'll never amount to anything. Well, Everything is rigged against prophecy. you. Well, I mean, and this yeah. is what we will go into a little bit more when yeah. um, we talked about the coddling of the American mind mm -hmm. is it becomes a self-repeating loop. Yeah. Um, and again, this is not a, a cultural disagreement. This is a psychologically proven phenomenon. Is, Correct. You know, what is it that uh, I think it's... Um, Mm -hmm. One of the great, uh, I think it was Buddha that said, so a man who thinks in his mind, so he is. Mm -hmm. um, we have tremendous amounts of power in how we think about ourselves, mm -hmm. um, whether for good or for bad. If we can, you know, we can use that to say, boy, I, you know, I didn't give my best effort there or I feel I don't, you know, young girls saying, I don't feel pretty today, you know, well, then you need to, that doesn't mean you're not pretty. It mm -hmm. just means, okay, but now we need to, instead of repeating that and wallowing in it, mm -hmm. is it better to do that? Or is it better to say, I'm so thankful that my legs work, I have a healthy body, yeah. you know, all of these Appreciation, things. gratitude. Yeah. yeah. So really mm -hmm. kind of CRT is working on yeah. almost the antithesis of what resilient human beings, what they need in, to succeed. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, you're listening to Education America on AM 1280, The Patriot, and we are discussing the four most concerning threats in education today. And we just talked about our first uh, one, which is critical race theory. And we're going to continue with the second threat. And that is really the social studies standards that we are now seeing in the state of Minnesota. They are going before an administrative law judge in September and if they are approved, I believe that they will go into effect in uh, 2025, I believe. And what they did with the social studies standards here in the state of Minnesota, and again, this is not limited to Minnesota, we're seeing this all across the nation, is they added a fifth strand called ethnic studies. So social studies encompasses a lot already. So the first strand is citizenship and government. That could be, you know, a whole class by itself. Mm -hmm. Economics, geography. Well, economics is the second strand. The third one is geography. The fourth one is history. And now they've got a fifth one, ethnic studies. So let's just ask yourself, if you're a social studies teacher, you're already <laughs> under the gun to try to teach these four strands, mm -hmm. history, geography, economics, and citizenship and government. And now we're going to add a fifth strand called ethnic studies. And under ethnic studies, there are three subsets, identity, so they want the students to analyze the ways, and I'm reading right from their text, analyze the ways power and language construct 
the social identities of race, religion, geography, ethnicity, and gender. I'm not going to read the whole thing. The second one is resistance. The student will describe how individuals and communities have fought for freedom and liberation against systemic and coordinated exercises of power locally, globally, and identify strategies or times that have resulted in lasting change. And then the third one is ways of knowing and methodologies. The student will use ethnic and indigenous study methods and sources to understand the roots of contemporary systems of oppression. So we're even assuming there's oppression. Now, again, we know that there are some black eyes in American history that are pretty significant. Absolutely. But hearkening back to Martin Luther King Jr., who said he sees the Declaration of Independence as a promissory note. So what we wrote, as I say we loosely, what the founders wrote in our Declaration of Independence is something that is an ideal that we can continue to strive to live up to. And so to assume that everything has been about oppression, that our founding is about white oppressors, um, it's simply not true from a factual standpoint, and that's easily provable through a lot of primary documents. But to teach kids again to basically hate America because of these black eyes that we have, rather than focus on the beauty of that that uh, Declaration of Independence and our Constitution and how we can continue to strive to make it better um, is a much more beneficial way of helping our students. So in addition to this fifth fifth strand ethnic studies, this idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion is now interwoven into all the other four strands that I mentioned too. So Mm -hmm. it's not just separate, it's included in. So for instance, in and they're very action-oriented or activist-oriented. So the idea is to teach kids um, from the perspective of diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, that America is is a flawed country, but also then to build activists. So, for instance, even as young as third grade, they want students to identify ways people make a difference. They want them to look at voting procedures and to decide on and take community action and communicate with others, write a letter, make a speech, attend a public meeting. This is third grade. So that sounds like something great for high school kids, but third grade. (laughs) And then in fifth grade, investigate how groups of people um, have advocated for access to greater rights. So again, in fifth grade, we're going to teach about activism. And so this is one of the themes that we see throughout all of the social studies standards if they do get approved by the administrative law judge that will be in our schools across the state of Minnesota is that it is training activism, which I think is something that we as parents, as we're watching, mm-hmm. as you said, watching our classrooms, picked up over the time of COVID and thought, what is going on here? I thought my child was learning about history. Mm-hmm. And instead, we're learning about how America was bad. We're learning about different types of victims and oppression, um, which I think most people wouldn't consider a true education. And as you've said certainly not beneficial for most kids, Mm -hmm. you know, that victim mentality isn't helpful. Yes. How are we, how are we, are we creating overcomers here? Are we helping? One of the things that I talk, and again, I'm sure many parents can relate to this is, um, you know, life is not fair. And I tell my Mm -hmm. kids over and over, one of the most important things that I can ever teach you 
is that life is not fair. And you will have to figure out mm-hmm. how to, in each situation, handle that. Yeah. Um, just because there's just no getting away from it. Yeah. Um, and so, and it will manifest in different ways at different times. But the more you can recognize that and not be surprised mm-hmm. that, wait a minute, and, you know, right now it's, she got more snacks than I did or, you know, whatever it is, they got to, they got to spend time with their friend and I didn't get to spend, spend time with mine. So it's, you know, it's small beans right now, mm-hmm. but there's plenty of whining. Oh, well, and that's, and that's, <laughs> well, that's how this has gotten such legs across the country because there are those who think that that is the best way to bring about change. And, you know, you mentioned about, you know, is that really helpful for kids to think that they're victims? Because, as I pointed out, it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy then. And, you know, I, I have a friend who happens to be black and she was raised under very difficult circumstances. Her mother was a drug addict. Um, it was a broken family. Um, she lived in a poor neighborhood. And yet she realized the importance of education mm. and she applied herself. And now she's an attorney. Mm. And she said, I do not want my children being raised with her, her children are black. I do not want my children to be raised with this kind of mentality. She said, had I received this education now that is being in our, that is in our schools, I would never have become an attorney. Mm -hmm. I would have never believed in myself enough to think that I could actually do it. And so we really need to be thinking about that. If we really want to help people, then we need to help them by helping them become resilient, not by telling them that they're victims. Absolutely. All right. Well, we only have a couple minutes left, and I want to talk about our third. The third greatest threat is comprehensive sex education. And this is not your grandmother's sex ed class. I just feel like I kind of want to put my hands over my ears during and just go, la, 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 la. This is just not happening. Right. So, you know, we think, again, of our health classes, and we were taught about the birds and the bees. These students nowadays will learn about everything. That's why they use the term comprehensive. Because it is comprehensive. They will learn about everything having to do with sex. And then, again, this indoctrination starts young. Um, Assignments, or not assignments, but um, uh, activities that are being done in the classroom as young as kindergarten, um, including or involving a book called It's Not the Stork. Um, Kids are being taught that being a boy or a girl doesn't have to mean that you have these certain body parts. But for most people, this is how their bodies are. This is a quote from the book, It's Not the Stork. And this is out of a curriculum put out by Advocates for Youth, which is a comprehensive sex ed curriculum that's being used in a lot of schools. And what you're doing then already in kindergarten kids is teaching them that, oh, so just because I have these parts doesn't mean I'm a girl. So you're already bringing into question identity. Mm-hmm. And you're going to bring about more confusion about sexual identity rather than helping students um, feel better about their identity. This is a man. <laughs> there you go. It does. And it's even Biden. I Man, can't I will tell it. you. And I cannot believe he found our recording studio. How did he do that? He's he must be up from his nap. I, want, I wonder if he could tell us the definition of a woman. Uh, well, he's, nobody he's else is not a biologist. Do that. He's not a biologist. Nobody else can do that. It's real complicated. It's yeah. incredibly complicated. Wow. 
Wow, you are so goodly. I'm loving these. I'm loving these. All right. Well, there is so much more that we will talk about because we're going to now delve down into these in our next three shows. So we only gave you a little touch of the surface tonight, and we're glad that you are with us, and we hope that you will join us for these upcoming shows where we will go into greater detail about the four threats, critical race theory, social study standards, comprehensive sex ed, and the new teacher licensure rules. So, uh, Abigail, this has been fun again. It has been really fun. I'm glad you're my new co-host. I'm enjoying it. I am too, and you. it's been really fun. I'm glad that uh, President Biden could join us as well. We hope that yeah, you will fine. join us as well Not on AM 1280, The Patriot. Yep. And see us at savetheclassroom.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See you next week. Have a great night. night. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.